I don't know about you, but the next time I take my garbage out, I'm going to be especially nervous. <laughs> you mean you're going to be looking for someone to randomly shoot you in the chest with like point blank accuracy? Yeah, if I see some uh, excessively muscular guy walking around in a fucking cable knit sweater, <laughs> I'll be looking over my shoulder every garbage day from here until the end of time. Yeah, I'm just going to stop putting out garbage. I'm just going to let it pile <laughs> up and we're going to see what happens. It's a bold strategy, but it might pay off. <laughs> Welcome to Bad Movies and Beer. I'm Cooper. I'm Nolan. And today... One year after we promised to do it, we are talking about Silent Night, Deadly Night, Part 2. <laughs> it is the, the sequel that was so perfectly set up by the original Silent Night, Deadly Night. I required a sequel. I called for it in our last episode. I was like, this must continue, and they've given it to me. They really have. Are you are you happy that they did, or in hindsight, do you kind of wish they just left it alone? I mean, we're going to talk about that when we get to our reviews at the end of this episode. Oh, we will indeed, for yeah. sure. Uh, but before then, this was not only our Christmas episode, our second last episode before we take our midseason break, this was also perhaps our most exciting and ambitious beer selection because... <laughs> We have chosen oh. today to take on, and we've already started, if you can't tell from our voices, the 12 beers of Christmas pack from our friends at the Whitewater Brewing Company. 12 beers, each unique, only released this time of year. How excited were you for this week, Noel? So excited. This is a lot of delicious beers for us to try. We did a draft-style beer selection and consumed several of those beers thus far. Yeah, so quickly right now, we'll cut to the audio footage of us unboxing and drafting these beers earlier, then we'll come right back for the actual episode. But this is us unboxing the beers and making our selections. We're just going to draft them. So we each get six, but we don't know what's in there. And I'm a little nervous about missing out on something good. <laughs> or ending up with something bad. <laughs> so for our special Christmas episode, we're, we're breaking into a 12 beers of Christmas pack by Whitewater Brewing Company. Yeah, we uh, we enjoyed their Wild Bog beer back way back when we watched and talked about Swamp Thing in our third ever episode. And here we are, 46 episodes later. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they are awesome. They're out of, uh, well, not quite out of Ottawa, but they're off the Ottawa River. Uh, in another smaller town, they have a brewery and a, also a pub location. And uh, it was sort of three friends who created it together. They were sort of adventurous people. Uh, they'd done a lot of travel, but they kept coming back to whitewater rafting on that river. And they decided to open the brewery together. And I love the amount of different beers that they offer. I've ordered off them online a few times. And you've shared some tremendous ones with me. The peanut butter banana stout shake, it was just incredible. Well, and that's a one time, like that's just in their winter pack this year. They do a winter pack every year in addition to the 12 beers of Christmas. But they regularly have the peanut butter shake, which is fucking awesome. That's one of my favorite beers ever. This year, yeah, they did a peanut butter banana variety. You famously love bananas and banana flavored things. Yes. Oh, so adding a banana flavor to something just gives it like a plus two in my flavor rating. Well, <laughs> maybe there'll be some banana in here. You never know. So, we'll so how are we going to do this? We're going to draft. So each of us are going to oh, get six. Yeah. Uh, who gets to go first? And are we going one after the other after that? Okay, well, this is the thing. So one of us is going to pick first. The next person is going to get two picks in a row, and then we're just going to alternate. Okay. So basically, you, you need to get the first beer, or you get the second and third beer. So okay. all right, all right. Hard, hard to say which one's more valuable. That sounds fair. And are you going to crack this open and tell people what we got? Are we going to take Absolutely. turns pulling this out? Yeah. But first, who's, do you want the first pick, or do you want two in a row? 
Uh, I think I would rather have the two in a row. That's great because I want the first pick. So that's perfect. All right, okay. okay. I want to have the first crack at whatever. So we're going to open this up. We're going to see what's in there. And they are numbered, by the way. They're numbered from one to 12. So we'll do this in order. What do you say? Yeah, all right. Sounds good. All right. So the number one beer in the 12 beers of Christmas, the first beer. Ooh, it is a cranberry candy cane blonde ale. Oh, I like the blonde ale part. Mm. Cranberry, I mean, they we had the Wild Bog was a cranberry beer, I believe. Cool. Every year in Whoville, Martha May Whovier has the best lights. We've fashioned this cranberry and candy cane blonde to shine just as bright. With a pinky hue and flamer, flavors reminiscent of your favorite holiday treats, Martha May Whovier will give you that nostalgic feeling of seeing the first Christmas lights of the season. I don't know if we have time to read the synopsis <laughs> for all. <of> <laughs> all right, all right. We'll do that for one. But that's that's it. cool. All right, they so all have cool, number one. cool sayings. Yep. Yep. Uh, beer number two. What do you got there? Maliki Licky Maka. That's the that Christmas song. It's yeah. the way to say Merry Christmas to you on a bright Hawaiian Christmas day. Mm-hmm. A pineapple and buckthorn berry sour. Yeah, Ooh, okay. I'm intrigued. That five, one's five percent alcohol. That one's up your alley. Okay, let that me see is. number three here. All right. This is a winter wonderland. Number three, it's a white chocolate stout Ooh. at 4% right here. Okay, that sounds very tasty. Mm-hmm. I might already be regretting taking the first pick and not uh, taking two and three. Okay. Shit. All right. Uh, <laughs> beer number four, it's called Welcome to the Stage. It is a brandy butter ESA, which I believe stands for Extra Special Ale. Extra special ale. I don't know. Four point five percent alcohol. That's a nice smooth drinker. Yeah, nice is that one. Where's that one on your list so far? I don't want to reveal anything. Yeah. Oh, you're not giving me any info here to help me. Nope. Oh, this is a Christmas seltzer. Oh, what? Not even yeah, a beer. Not even a beer. We've got an orange seltzer. That'll so be that refreshing. One, I bet that That'd one kind of comes off uh, a little bit different. Good palate cleanser. Surprise! This isn't a beer at all. <laughs> there nice. It is. That's what it says yeah. right on here, and it has. The pictures on it out of uh, a Christmas story, the Red Rider BB gun. There you go. Okay, fair enough. Beer number six, Scotchy Scotch Scotch. It's a strong Scotch ale, 9.5% alcohol. And the quote in the back from Ron Burgundy with a little outline of Mr. Burgundy. I nice. love Scotch. Scotchy Scotch Scotch. It sounds Here right it up goes down. my alley. Yeah, there no, was yeah. a few years there where I only drank Scotch. Raise a glass and stay classy. There you mm, go. Classy like guy. It. All right. Beer number seven. Family recipe barley wine. Okay. I'm wondering where that's going to go in the... Uh, I've never the had recipes. barley wine. What's barley wine taste like? Oh, maybe you should draft it early. Number one pick. No, that's insane. <laughs> I'm not going to go number one. I don't even know what it is. All right. Uh, number eight. It was an ugly tree anyway. A smoked spruce blonde ale. Oh. 5% alcohol. Again, blonde ale. I like the sound of so that. We got spruce in the actual brew of this. I guess so. All right. This one's called Yule Log. And it is a Scottish whiskey oat ale. Ooh, my. Coming in at 6.5% here. That's lower than I would have guessed. Okay. Yeah, not not super high. We're definitely getting a lot of English or European style brews here. I think that makes sense, I guess, with the holidays. I was going to say, these sound very wintry, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of like things that are going to warm us up. These like, are all going to warm us yeah. up, yeah. Number 10, fig pudding, German essential amber. It's called figgy pudding. 5% alcohol. We filled up a can of good beer that tastes like a classic figgy pudding. So if you like figgy pudding. I don't think I've ever had a figgy pudding. Well, take that in the barley wine, two, three, and uh, <laughs> you, know, you get some new experiences. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm looking for. Is uh, I, I think barley wine should be yours. Should we sure. lock it in right now? Two, three? Is a, is a no, no. Not, that's okay. your number one, isn't it? Well. Number 11. 
This is called Prosecco. Oh, okay. Oh, really? Yeah, and it's a mimosa sour. Ooh, yes. all right. It's an extra light beer at 2.5%. That sounds intriguing. Pop the Prosecco and pour the orange juice. Santa Claus is coming to town. That one's interesting. Yeah, it is. That one's very interesting. Right. Okay, number 12. This is the final one. Now, I'm seeing the colors in this, and I'm trying to get my hopes up, but... Oh, goodness. It's called Dinner Mint. It's a cocoa and peppermint stout. <laughs> so this is uh, this is now very interesting. Uh, so we had a bit of a conversation before the draft about another mint chocolate stout from this well, very same brewery. Alleged. Listen, I love Whitewater. They do a lot of good stuff. But they put this like wintergreen porter that was like... It's not peppermint. It's like spearmint. Yeah, it, it was didn't, way it too minty. It didn't for me. meet what you thought it was going to be. No. And that's probably, you're probably hoping for the beer that's in your hand. Unless this is a similar minty profile to you know the what? next one. And now I like love nervous. the spearmint wintergreen. So if you want to let this one go to 12 uh, and give it to me, you know I'm, I'm up for the spearmint here. You, you know this that is, I'm up for that, that one. They have thrown me a real curveball here. This is a real <laughs> moral quandary. I don't know what to do now because I've been burned once on the mint already. So I don't know if I can do it. All, All right. right. Uh, so we've got 12 beers now. Yeah. And you get to go first and pick which one you want. Okay. You know what? I'm just going to go with my gut. There's one that got me the most excited when we pulled it out of there. Yeah. I'm taking the white chocolate stout. Oh. Winter Wonderland number one. That's my pick. Winter Wonderland is going number one. I think that's a good pick. I'm picking two here, and these are going to feel spiteful, but I'm going with number two. Um, uh, yeah. Mele Kalikimaka? Mele Kalikimaka. Mele Kalikimaka. Sounds amazing. Sounds pineapple good, yeah. and buckthorn berry sour. Yeah, fuck. Sounds amazing. And then I'm also going with Prosec Ho Ho Ho. Oh, you took both sours. The oh, you dick. sour. The worst thing now is the cocoa and peppermint stout is just staring at me now. I was like, he'll take that in one of the next two picks. He'll save me from myself. Because what <laughs> if it's too many to the other one? Now I don't know what to do. Oh, yeah. Oh, I've been burned before. That's the problem. Um, I'm going to go... With the smoked spruce Blondale. Number okay. eight. I'm taking Number it. eight. Okay. I'm going to go for the candy cane blonde ale here. The cranberry one? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I thought about that. I looked at it. So Cooper's on the clock. He's having a hard time deciding here whether he wants to go for that chocolate mint. God, God help me. I'm taking the cocoa peppermint stout. I have, <laughs> I have no choice. I have no choice. Okay. I think that's a good choice. I think it's going to be delicious. The I think it's peppermint and not like the winter green yeah. spearmint. I, it's, I'm optimistic. In many ways, optimistic. I wanted to take that as my first pick. Yeah. Um, but I also wanted the decision to be out there for Would you. Would you be open to a trade? We'll talk about it later. Okay. Yeah. I'm not I'm not ready to give up anything. Like I, I want to negotiate from my full position gotcha. of six. Gotcha. Yep. I want to see what I have here. Because it might okay. have to be one where we switch two instead of switching. Oh, one. I hear you know what you're saying. I mean? Yes, yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. All okay. Right. Uh, I'm just looking at what's left here. Uh, I've got the figgy pudding around still, the Yule log. We've got the barley wine. Christmas seltzer. We also have the scotchy scotch scotch. And the brandy butter. Mm, wow. There's a lot out here. I think I'm going for the figgy pudding. Okay. I don't know what figgy pudding tastes like, and I'm about to find out. We're going to find out for sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, In that case, I am going to guarantee that I get some fruitiness over here. I'm taking the seltzer. I think the seltzer will be a refreshing change of pace. Not technically a beer, but I'm excited to try it. Taking the, uh, the seltzer one. All right. I think that was a good choice for you. 
I was thinking about that for a while, and I, I think you did a good job with that choice. I am going for the Scotchy Scotch Scotch. Oh, thank God. 9.5% strong Scotch Ale. Okay. I think this is going to be the perfect beer to complement the delicious sours I already have oh, chosen. Oh, you fucking asshole. All right. <laughs> uh, I'm going to take the Brandy Butter uh, ESA because it's a it's like a lower ABV. You want not barley wine? Four percent. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Plus, I'm not a whiskey guy, so I don't think the whiskey flavored ones up my alley. Not to tip my hand on the last pick here, but yeah. Well, I'll take the whiskey for you then. Oh, I'll take fuck. the Yule log. I'm <laughs> going right. with the Scottish whiskey oat ale. I think as someone who hasn't had a barley wine before in your life, it, it's about time. <laughs> as you roll it over to me. <laughs> <laughs> so now I've only got four beers here out of six. I got the seltzer. I got the barley wines. This isn't even like. I have four beers and two other beverages. Barley wine is considered a beer, I think. Okay, fair yeah. enough. I think if you were to categorize it, it's a style of beer. All right, now, as you mentioned, we did a trade after all this drafting was concluded. The uh, mint chocolate stout that I was so fucking nervous about because of the previous mint beer from Whitewater... Uh, we were successfully able to work out a trade. I sent you the chocolate mint stout and the orange seltzer in exchange for the uh, Hawaiian sour. Yeah, the Melikalikimaka, the pineapple and buckthorn berry sour. Nice. And I think I also sent you some kind of oat scotch ale as well. Yeah, it was the fucking scotch whiskey one, with uh, mm. which I've already drank. And I have to be honest... It was pretty okay. I did yeah. not mind it. So we're already, we've already had. So the trades uh, a win here. Yeah, we've had four of our respective six beers each at this point. It uh, it hurt me a little to give up that uh, pineapple sour beer. I feel like that's going to be a tremendous pull. Um, I traded you that for one of the two beers that I have left here. It's the Dinner Mint, the Cocoa and. God bless you for getting that off my hands because I am so nervous about it. And the See, fact that your cranberry mm. candy cane beer had that same mint flavor as the other one we tried, I feel great about this trade now. I am confident, fairly confident, that's going to taste exactly like the wintergreen mint lifesaver beer I had before yeah. from them that I did not enjoy. Which is fair. And then the last one I have left is the Prosecco Ho Ho Ho. That one I'm a little jealous that you got. Yeah, mimosa sour. Yeah. I am going to enjoy finishing on this. I think I'm going to go with the stout first and then finish with the delicious light mimosa sour. You're ending on a high note. I'm ending on a oh. barley note. I'm not so sure about that. Are you that. not drinking the barley first? Nope. I'm going with the pineapple buckthorn berry sour first. I'll leave the uh, barley wine for the end. I'm going to hold you to finishing that barley wine then. Ah. Uh, I'm going to be an man, asshole. Be like I'm going to make you finish that beer. <laughs> if you're going to open it last, you're going to have to make sure you finish and enjoy all of that. Well, enough talk. I say we get into it and we can get on with this movie because we've been talking about beer for the last like 15 minutes. So let's this do it. This is the longest beer talk we've ever had. Producer John must be thrilled. That guy wanted more beer. So here we go. We open with some vaguely ominous music. To be honest, this music almost kind of sounds more soothing. And we faded on a tapping foot. The camera tilts up to reveal an extremely muscular man holding a cigarette, staring anxiously at the wall. And guess who it is? The brother from the end of Silent Night, Deadly Night. It's little Ricky, and he is all grown up. Dude looks like he bench presses minivans. He's huge. This movie is all about a person who witnesses his family being murdered by Santa Claus and then goes on to grow up in an orphanage and is being traumatized by that experience. Yeah, and this is the younger brother of the main character of the first movie who himself uh, witnessed Santa Claus murder. And so this is a, it's the groundwork has been laid perfectly for this sequel. 
And here we are. We get then get a dead center close-up of his face. He is staring at us, which is broken up by an orderly entering the room with one of those old-time reel-to-reel tape recorders. And for a split second, I was like, is that Patrick Ewing? <laughs> I thought it was like legendary oh, New York boy. Knicks center Patrick Ewing for a second. You look kind of like him. Oh, I mean, it clearly is Patrick Ewing playing that role. <laughs> it's definitely not. Let's be clear. So we get some eerie music as we start getting into this sort of setup. We know that this is dated, right? We know that they're using reel-to-reel equipment to record what's happening. Uh, well, the owner of that reel-to-reel tape recorder enters the room shortly thereafter. He's an extremely well-dressed man. He's the psychiatrist, Dr. Bloom. Uh, he's dressed like he's going to a funeral or like a black tie gala. Yeah, I mean, this man is trying to be professional. He says he's not kind of afraid of him, and he's trying to show that he has gone through this before. But he's not pulling it off for me. Yeah, he introduces himself to Ricky, who isn't super receptive to the idea of psychoanalysis. We can tell because Ricky gets up, walks towards the doctor, and says, What makes you think you can bullshit your way into my head? Like every other pencil neck piece of shit. This is Ricky's third line in the movie so far, and it is not going well. Ricky might be the worst actor we've ever seen on this entire podcast. It's really bad. We've seen some really bad actors. Remember that kid who played Jean-Claude Van Damme, young version in Bloodsport? That kid was awful. You had some harsh words for that kid. Um, If you do not have equally harsh words for Ricky, then I don't understand because he has no emotion. Like, he can't show emotion in this. And I know he's supposed to be playing a psychopath, but it does not come off effectively. I also like how he points to his head when he says, My head? (laughs) <laughs> Literal gestures, such an underutilized part of the great actor's toolkit. <laughs> so what I'm trying to glean from this is I feel like Ricky's on death row. Like he's about to be thrown to um, like government-assisted ending of his life. Um, and this doctor's here to provide his last gasp of success. Is that true? Oh, yeah. The doctor does tell him that uh, he's the only chance he has left. Now, Ricky slams his hand on the table when he says the thing about my head, and uh, that brings the orderly back in. But the doctor again tells him to get out in a condescending way. He does, after first waving a finger at Ricky, but not actually saying anything. Are they going to give this guy any lines at all? No, they give the orderly zero lines. <laughs> Nothing, no. That's the racism combined to this film, for sure. Yeah. So we we have this thing where we have a clearly disturbed person, Ricky, and we have a psychologist there, um, Dr. Douchebag. And they're sort of telling the story of what led to this point. Yeah, Ricky decides to play ball after the doctor reminds him that he's, you know, his only chance. And as soon as the doctor says, let's get started, we immediately get a graphic showing us the date, December 24th. We know that this is a Christmas horror movie. They're doing their best to connect it to Christmas time, but there is uh, a bit of a stretch to make it work effectively, right? Oh, yeah. Now... (laughs) The doctor's first question is about Ricky's parents. He wants to know who killed them. Ricky's answer shouldn't be a surprise to anyone who's seen the first movie, Santa Claus. And just like that, we are into the flashbacks. Yeah, this movie starts with 40 minutes of replaying the scenes from the first movie. Oh, spoilers. What are you fucking talking about? (laughs) Our podcast is full of spoilers. This is is literally 40 minutes of shots of the first movie with slight, like, maybe... 30 seconds to one minute of the poorest acting possible in between to tie it together. Yeah. Now, as you mentioned, this is all just flashback stuff. We get like a three-minute sequence from the first movie, specifically the sequence where a criminal dressed like Santa Claus kills Ricky's parents in front of him and his brother Billy. Ricky's providing narration here. Only you and I both know all the footage in that first movie is of Billy. 
So you might oh, be wondering yes. kind of how the filmmakers explainer handled this. And the answer is Ricky in the present day saying it was hard on both of us. So they <laughs> nailed it right here. They're just like, this is your seamless transition. Yeah. They're, they're saying that this small child who had heard the stories from his older brother who starred in the first movie has the exact same experiences and feelings as the character from the first movie. Well, and the fucking crazy part about that is when their parents get murdered, Ricky is literally a baby. Like, he can't possibly remember this. He throws down the line, I was there. But he's a fucking baby. No, he remembers. No fucking way. He remembers. In this this next sequence, we cut back to more footage from the first movie. When the doctor asks him about living in an orphanage afterwards, we see Billy making a disturbing drawing and then spying on a couple of teenagers banging, all of which draws the ire of Mother Superior, your arch enemy from the first movie. I was excited that a second movie came because I felt like <laughs> Mother Superior deserved to get taken oh, down you in the monster. first movie. Yeah. She was clear the reason Billy turned out to be as fucked as he was. I thought that the decisions made and the way that they portrayed the actions of Billy were really realistic. Like, I felt like that is how someone would act when they went through all of the trauma that Billy went through and the growing up in the orphanage that he did. No wonder he turned out to be a fucking serial killer. Well, in keeping with what you're saying, uh, this sequence ends with her whipping Billy with a belt, and they bring us back to the present via some alternating cuts of Ricky saying, he was naughty, one word at a time in between whips. I mean, it's kind of simple and silly, but this might actually be the high point of this movie from a technical standpoint. Yeah, this movie does not produce in terms of technicality, right? It is very much a replay of the old movie and then some of its own footage to try to capture the essence of the first movie. Oh God, you are not kidding with that first part. We are 15 minutes into this and like nine minutes of that has been footage from the first movie. I'm pretty sure we are going to go on for another half an hour of replays from the first movie. Well, why stop now as we head back to more footage from the first movie thanks to this transition. The doctor asks him, do you dream, Ricky? And Ricky replies, I don't sleep. But Billy had dreams. Come on, man. This is ridiculous. Yeah, I don't understand where this I don't sleep shit comes from. Um, They don't explain any of it. And we know that the Ricky character is fucked up. But this is a strange way to sort of share that. Oh, God, I'll say. Uh, Anyway, we see Mother Superior tying Billy to a bed, which, footnote, he could totally have gotten out of, and then forcing him to sit on Santa Claus's lap, which we already pointed out was just an awful idea last year when we watched the original. Nine-year-old Billy knocks out Santa Claus and ends up getting more punishment from Mother Superior, and present-day Ricky claims he could hear the screams. I mean, at least they're trying to connect these two time periods, but all this stuff his brother was doing and almost certainly didn't tell him about it based on what we see in the first movie. Like our next sequence of Billy being forced to dress like Santa Claus at a toy store, which makes him go crazy and start his rampage. Ricky wouldn't know any of this. From what I understand, based on the way that they describe the two movies, is that they have telekinesis. Like, oh, come on, man. Everything that happens to Billy is understood and felt by Ricky. I mean... He does describe that Billy told him everything. So we we have to take as an audience the idea that sort of Billy has led to everything that's happened to Ricky, but I'm not sure. No, he would not know fucking any of this. That's some bullshit. What he does know is exactly whose fault all of what happened in the first movie was. It's Mother Superior's. He sounds exactly like you when we watched the first movie. 
I mean, he's right. Mother Superior is <laughs> the villain of all of <laughs> this bullshit. You're just Ricky. You are the real life Ricky. I am not a Ricky, but I am someone who supports Billy in taking down the person that caused him to be a psychopath. You know who else supports Billy in that? Yeah, who? Ricky. <laughs> you're just him, man. That's what's up. I mean, I'm as buff as him. That's true. But oh uh, everything God. else is like a bullshit. You're right. All right. Well, you heard it here first. Anyone who lives close to Noel, be careful taking your garbage out because apparently this guy's got a vendetta. So we get more footage from the first movie now, and it just keeps going. We see Billy murdering some horny teenagers. The cops looking for Billy. Billy killing some 35-year-old teenagers on a sled. And by the time this sequence is over, we're up to 30 minutes out of 40 that's just scenes from the first movie. It's getting ridiculous. Yeah. If you've never seen the first movie... This second movie is a good way to be like, hey, you should have seen this shit. Look at all these awesome shots. But as someone who has seen the first movie, this is really bullshit because I'm like, I would love to see the new ideas you're bringing to this series. Yeah, for sure. Now, they do highlight one scene in particular in here, though, and that's the scene where the cops shoot the wrong Santa at the orphanage. They do this right in front of young Ricky, or at least that's what the new footage they cut into the sequence would have us believe. Some random nun we've never seen before calls all of the children, including Ricky, who is definitely a different actor from the first movie inside. Yeah, there was a few shots in the second movie that took pieces of the first one. I did question a couple times whether that had actually happened in the first movie or not, because it's been a while since I've seen it. Well, it had, but with different actors. They recut some stuff to make the like different people be young Ricky. Which is really weird, right? Yeah, well, I they're mean, trying to connect it. Like, that's not a bad to, thing, They but have come to on. do it. Yeah, they're trying their best to make what is happening to this Ricky character be meaningful, but it's really hard because his acting is so bad. (laughs) It's really bad. Yeah. Yeah, Just so awful that I'm having trouble being like, I care now on the bright side. When this is all over, we finally run through the events of the first movie. So we'll have to get some original content now. And we do starting with Ricky's story of life after the orphanage. Now, I have to say, I actually love this because if you've got a kid who you're 99% sure will go homicidal if he has to celebrate Christmas, what do you do with them? And the answer is, put him with a Jewish family. I mean, that's just good thinking. Come on. You're right. How do we avoid all the trauma that comes with Santa Claus? Uh, let's give him to the Jews. Yeah, absolutely. We got some grainy flashback footage of them picking him up, uh, him playing in the yard, family barbecue. And then we get a scene that shows us that little Ricky is still clearly traumatized by his past as a couple of nuns walking down the street and then a red sheet causes him to flip the fuck out. Yeah, he goes into what his new mom calls like almost like a seizure as he sees these nuns and sees their red sheet and panics. She realizes too late in the scenario that this is a bad thing for him. He asked for her help several times, but she finally clues in too late and pulls him out of that situation. So at least there's nothing like dramatic that happens here, but we know that Ricky's not okay. Yeah, now the Rosenbergs decide to stick it out with him, though. They're kind of debating this, but they know he needs us, so they're being good role models here. And for a time after this, things were good. But uh, once later on, we see Ricky's adopted father pass away. We see that Ricky is still carrying some of the trauma of his childhood. This is weird, right? So we know Ricky gets adopted. We know Ricky's like kind of okay, but not okay. And then his stepfather dies and he takes it hard. He decides the best way to deal with this is for me as a, I think he's 16 year old teen here at this point. 
I mean, the actor's like 28. I agree. He's got a (laughs) full, like, five o'clock shadow when they show this scene. (laughs) I was really struggling with how much of his beard was showing. He's clearly old, and he decides that the best way to deal with all of this trauma is to walk the fields. Yeah. He starts wandering the countryside like a common hobo, and one day he stumbles upon a couple of, like, 40-year-old teenagers having a picnic. You're right. He finds this group of, like old teens dude they're even older than like the teenagers from the first movie in that sledding scene yeah it's brutal so they're pretending to be old but they're in a field and something that's become sort of a i don't know if it's a trope is the right word in the silent night deadly night movies is that the man wants sex no matter what well yeah what at first seems like a lovely afternoon takes a turn when the male teenager drunkenly forces himself on his date now, for Ricky, these rapey vibes bring back the memory of his parents' murder. And for the first time since he was a little boy, he utters the magic word, naughty. Naughty. We know that that's bad news because we see that in the first movie. The old dude's interested in sex um, and the girl's not. So the old dude rips her shirt open, just like happened to his mom with Santa Claus. And that's not going to go well for this dude. Oh, fuck no. We know this guy's going to get it. And sure enough, when he walks off to get in her beer, Ricky runs him over with his own Jeep. Dude, this scene is fucking hilarious. Like, <laughs> this guy has so much time to move. Ricky honks the horn. He hasn't even turned the car on yet. Then he starts the engine, and the guy looks down, like, confused the car has started. And then he just drops. This is fucking absurd. So, yeah. So, there's a few things that are fucked here. One, the guy comes back to his Jeep. He lo- goes in the car. Once he leaves it, almost like out of nowhere, Ricky materializes in the driver's seat. He wasn't there when the guy, the guy looks in the car, Ricky's not there, all of a sudden he's in the driver's seat, it's yeah, crazy. It's like sort of like a magical Ricky in the driver's seat moment, and then Ricky proceeds to drive forward and backwards over him several times. Like, this is not Ricky driving over <laughs> once, this is him, like, repeatedly running over to this perv, and I mean, as an audience member, you're not so upset because this guy was kind of trying to rape the woman, so you're like, okay, he deserves some harm. But Ricky, like, multiple times drives him over. And what happens when the woman who was in that situation with the man, like, comes and sees Ricky there? She thanks him. She's like, thank you. Yeah, really fucked up. She's just like, okay, thank you. Like, thank you for running him over and murdering him. I don't know why she didn't just leave. Like, as he's leaving you with the more beer, the guy basically says to her, like, you stay right there. He basically tells her, I'm going to come back and rape you later. And she just sits there. It's really strange. It feels out of place in a almost comedic horror movie. Yeah. And from there, we cut back to Dr. Bloom, who has written red car in big letters. Uh, He looks up from his notepad, and Ricky is gone. We cut back to the doctor's face. He looks slightly to the right, scared and confused, but it turns out that Ricky was just standing on his left. Like, what the fuck? It's weird. The doctor is starting to get sweaty at this point. Well, yeah, and he gets more sweaty when Ricky gets ridiculously close to the doctor's face and says to him, Going too fast for you, doc. Red car. Good point. I know they're trying to make him seem creepy, but any creepiness that would be there is just getting wiped away by the terrible acting. It's insane how bad he is in this. It's so deadpan and unconvincing that I don't understand how he even got this job. Like, he has the maybe the physique of the character that resolved it, but both of us could have acted this part better. Yeah, I was going to say, like, we get in our flashback now, and the present day, like, super jacked Ricky, who's we're led to believe now in college, who stumbles upon some kind of gangster or drug dealer roughing up a guy who owes him money. This guy is hamming it up, so Ricky decides to step up and really teach him a thing or two about overdoing it, like, acting-wise, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, so the, like, 
sort of enforcer for a mafia or gang is beating up some guy in an alley. And Ricky comes over and takes exception to this. And he picks him up and lifts him into the air. And it's a big man he picks up and holds One hand, him. buddy. Yeah, one hand. Yeah. Holds him by the neck and just completely stops this tough man scenario from the other guy. Well, he kills him with an umbrella. He takes an umbrella and jams it through this guy's torso until it comes out the other side. And then it opens. And I laughed out loud at this part. This is fucking hilarious. I lost my mind yeah man, it's really funny like at, as close as i've ever come to orgasming while watching a movie it was in this scene <laughs> because he when that umbrella goes through this goon's body and <laughs> opens up into like this poetic slash romantic scene i just lost it and then we have a good like two minutes of rain falling on this umbrella as blood is spreading over it we have a very artsy scene here in the middle of what is a very non-artsy and hilarious film yeah, and uh, from there we cut back to Dr. Bloom, who much like me hearing you describe that last scene is very disturbed by what he's hearing. Dr. Bloom at this point just drenched in sweat and we find out that nobody in the State Department knew about either of these murders. So clearly Dr. Bloom is in over his head here and has no idea who or what he's dealing with, but he manages to pull himself together long enough to put Ricky back on the defensive by asking about Jennifer. Yeah, who is Jennifer? And then... Dr. Bloom brings out a glamour shot that says, love you, Ricky, uh, from Jennifer. Yeah, it turns out that uh, Jennifer is the only thing Ricky ever cared about. They bumped into each other one day when she was on her way to work and he was on his way to a Happy Days theme party. He's legit doing the Foz cosplay here. Yeah, he's in the leather jacket on the motorcycle with the white t-shirt. She's backing out of a parking spot and they bump in the slowest manner possible and he falls over and they laugh their asses off about hey. it. Hey. <laughs> and they fall in love. And oh, uh, here yeah. we go from there. We get a little montage of them riding around in his motorcycle and having extremely tender sex. Like extremely tender. Like they are barely moving. It was his first time. He was nervous. He didn't right. know. It turns out it was his first time. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't like some of the sex scenes we've seen, right? Willem Dafoe planted that way harder than oh, that. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean, Madonna needed to be a Oh, my God. Thing. All right, yeah. let's all, all right. just read it in here. Yeah. Now, it, yeah, it turns out it was his first time, like you said. He actually thought it was her first time, too, which is almost certainly setting her up for trouble. Like, as soon as you said that, I'm like, oh, fuck, this girl's dead. Like, this is not good. This is going to a bad place. Uh, very quickly, we transition from their first sex scene to a time where they're at a movie theater God damn it, this scene is fantastic. If you only watch (laughs) one scene in this movie, this should be one of the scenes. There's a stereotypical obnoxious loudmouth making terrible jokes, throwing popcorn. He's there with a friend who is like sitting next to him, seeming embarrassed the whole time, which for me, this part was like the most confusing part of the whole movie to me. Like these two guys are clearly friends, but is this the first time these two have seen a movie together? Because if so, why isn't his friend like, dude, what the hell are you doing? And if not, why is his friend in the movies with them? Like, the loudmouth is your classic movie theater asshole. Why would you enable him if you're the friend? I spent, like, way too much time thinking about this. You're just like, what the fuck? How did this happen? You're right. The friend did nothing as the guy in the back was clearly being an asshole. You knew this was going to come back to haunt him because it was not going over well with Ricky. Oh, no. What a dick this guy is. He totally deserves what he's going to (laughs) get. He deserves to get murdered in the movie theater? You know what? I'm just going to say it. Yes, he does. (laughs) This dude has no redeeming qualities. I'm fine with Ricky killing him. But, okay, so this weirdness is not why I love this scene so much. The reason I love this scene is what happens when Ricky asks his date what the movie is about. Oh, it's great. It's about this guy who dresses up like Santa Claus and kills people. What? 
I fucking shit <laughs> and shit simultaneously as this happened because I was like, "This reaction is incredible." I can't believe that they are watching the first movie in this movie. Oh my god, that's what it is. Yeah. The clip from the movie they are watching is a clip from the first Silent Night, Deadly Night. So it's like this in his head or they're doing a meta thing. Like I can't figure this out. It's extremely meta. Like they have already played 40 minutes of the first movie in this. And then during the new parts of this movie with hard air quotes new, they throw down that they are watching this great movie, which was the first movie. Like the fuck that they they are like fucking each other off so hard when they're making this that i can't handle it it's too much yeah i still don't understand whether like because because that, that is footage from the first movie so he's he's described for us other stuff in the first movie that he lived through but now we're getting events from the first movie on the screen and so part of me is like could this possibly be in his head like is he just imagining this because he's mad at the fucking guy in the back either way it's like someone flips a psycho switch because ricky immediately goes like stone-faced says punish then gets up to kill the loudmouth. But the weird part is, Jennifer doesn't find this like strange at all, or at least not strange enough to go ask him where he's going or follow him or stop watching the movie. Like she just sits there, like, oh, Ricky. I mean, you're right. Uh, she doesn't find it a big deal that he goes back and then like murders the dude in three rows behind. She gets distracted from like stopping that by her ex boyfriend showing up. How the fuck are we in like a six to eight person theater and two of the people are her ex boyfriend and his new date? Well, yeah. Now that her insanely strong and insane new boyfriend is gone, like you said, she gets a little visit from her ex boyfriend. That's Chip. And uh, the first thing that occurred to me watching him show up is this, this dude's hair is terrible. It's this weird, like, orangey blonde dye job mullet, but his dark roots are growing out. Is this supposed to be, like, a punk thing? Because he sounds like a classic rich kid 80s villain the way he talks, and he's wearing a cardigan over a collared shirt and tie. So what the fuck is this hair? Yeah, this guy's supposed to be an asshole, and he really is. He's way overconfident. He talks about f***ing her in his car and other places, and you, you know this is going to come back to haunt him. No, Chip. Just no. no Stop chip. it, Chip. Yeah. Stop it, Chip. Well, I mean, his name is Chip, so you know he's an asshole. If anyone listens to the show and their <laughs> name is Chip, I'm sorry, but fuck you. You're an asshole. I do apologize to any of our listeners whose names happen to be Chip. Uh, anyway, even though Ricky laughed a while ago, it takes him like five minutes to get up to where the loudmouth was sitting to finish him off. And then he also kills the guy's friend, which what did that guy do? I didn't do anything. Oh, my God. I did not see the guy's friend get killed. Well, he's not in the seat anymore. He's in the seat, and the guy turns around to, like, say something to him, and now he's he's not there anymore. It's fucking Ricky, and Ricky just kills this guy. I don't know what happened to the friend. The friend's Oh, so you're dead. inferring that his friend got killed. Oh, I'm sure he got killed. Oh, I thought he went for popcorn in Mount. Oh, my God. Yeah, I didn't know. All right. The next, the next day... Ricky and Jennifer are taking a nice stroll through the neighborhood when they happen to bump into Chip, who's working on his car and has apparently gotten his hair redyed in the last 12 hours. He's got no more dark roots showing. Chip makes a move on Jennifer right in front of Ricky, and when Ricky tells him that's enough, Chip basically pulls a literal, that's what she said. Yeah, that's not the way you want to approach this new relationship. Our Ricky character thought she was a virgin, and now the fact that he knows she isn't is not a good thing for Chip and or for our female character. Oh, no, he doesn't like that at all. Uh, so he holds Chip down and attaches jumper cables to his tongue, then electrocutes him until his eyes pop out. How would you describe these special effects, Noel? I thought this was one of the poorer special effects. <laughs> I've been yeah. impressed, like, in the first one and in many of the scenes of this one, the actual gore and scenes feel pretty real, right? The like ch Chip's plastic head did not put you over the top. The here. chip plastic head was pretty poor. <laughs> I was like, that's a tough one. That was a big stretch for me. Well, I don't blame you. 
Jennifer is mortified by all of this and starts yelling at Ricky about how he's out of his mind, how he could kill someone and blah, 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 blah. Women, am I right? Oh, you were happy about what's going to come next is what you're saying? Yeah, you were excited. You were like, yeah, she's not a virgin. She deserves to be fucking strangled to death. Not at all. As she's doing this, the director mixes in some quick cuts of Mother Superior explaining how punishment is necessary and punishment is absolute. And sure enough, this all ends with Ricky deciding to punish Jennifer. I mean, we clearly see at this point that Mother Superior is the problem in all of this. She caused all of the murders in this and the first movie. Uh, It's... Tough to argue that fact. Mm-hmm. It's also tough to argue that Ricky is just an insanely bad actor. But I think that because of that, the actress playing Jennifer has kind of flown under the radar here because she's really bad also. Out of nowhere, a security guard shows up acting like a stereotype of a 1950s cop. It is impossible to take this guy seriously. His hat's askew and the way he's talking. Like, come on. The fact that he shows up right after our character has, like, murdered a couple people is hilarious. Nobody called this in. He was just on the scene at that time. And he pulls his gun on Ricky. And what happens? Yeah, the mistake he makes is he pulls his gun, like you said, and he gets it right up in Ricky's face. That's a problem because it takes Ricky about three seconds to turn the gun around in the guy and just put a bullet in his brain. So he's dead, uh, and now it's Ricky's turn to go on the rampage. He starts walking around the security guard's gun and quickly blows away a couple of people. First, some random guy who comes out of his house, and then, in the most famous scene in the movie, a guy who unfortunately picked the worst possible time to take out his trash. Garbage day! No! (laughs) So this is really weird. I'm happy we're getting some action in Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. How did Ricky get so good at fucking shooting a pistol? He seems to be, like, deadly accurate with this thing, and he seems to be loving every time he murders somebody. Oh, he's having the time of his life for sure. He's laughing like a maniac. But I will say, the accuracy with the pistol thing, not so much in the next scene. After passing on killing a little girl with good manners, he spots an approaching car, and after twice missing the driver, he shoots the car in a way which causes it to lose control, barrel roll off a dirt pile, land perfectly right side up, and then explode in the biggest ball of flames you've ever seen in your whole entire life. I give this whole entire sequence an 11 out of 10. This is a great, great scene. Minus one. Stop it. Minus one. Come on. You cannot fucking pull this shit on me. <laughs> you shoot a car once in the radiator no, and no, make no, that no. shit explode? The car exploded from the roll, not from the shot. Bullshit. What do you mean? It didn't explode Bull- right away. No, it rolled shit. first. This is on, another this is one of those fucking car shoot it explode scenes that just completely turns me the wrong way. I was angry after this happened. Great this scene. is all just an insane scene of Ricky going off. He's going off, all right. Uh, it seems like he's really feeling himself now as he just keeps laughing and walking. In fact, he walks right past a couple of police officers who have him dead to rights and order him to drop the gun and surrender. He's got other ideas, though, and Ricky brings the gun up to his own head to finish himself off once and for all. But there's one small problem. No more bullets. That's just embarrassing. What a dummy. He calls himself a dummy. He tries to end himself, but this is how we find out that he has gotten himself incarcerated. He was caught after this spree of murders. And uh, where do we transition from here? Well, we're back to the present day. And despite being clearly upset by his failure here, Ricky's pretty philosophical, this whole thing, saying, you know, that's life. Uh, He does apologize to Dr. Bloom, though. And as the camera pans right, we see why. Turns out the doctor is dead. And after Ricky presses play on the tape recorder, we hear the frantic voices of guards yelling, he got loose. Yep, this is bad. 
They've been kind of built into this. The doctor was super overconfident all along. They'd spend a lot of time showing scenes of the recording equipment being set up. And I thought this was kind of mood building, but it also felt like padding in a movie that didn't end up reaching your hour and a half guideline. Well, the padding is all the flashbacks to the first movie, right? They barely have like 40 minutes of actual footage here. This is a 30 minute movie. Like literally made a TV episode and tried to punt it off as a full movie. Yeah, as the guy who bought the Blu-ray of this, I do feel a little bit cheated by the fact that half the footage is from a movie that I already owned. But, you know, what can you do? So he gets out. He's, he's out of this scenario. Ricky's out on the loose after being incarcerated for a while. And what happened? Well, we actually get a pretty good transition here because after he presses play, we hear all the screaming. We then get a detective pressing stop. Like he's been playing the tape. And you know who's in the room with the detective? Sister Mary from the first movie. Mm-hmm. Since it's Christmas Eve, the detective knows exactly where Ricky is going, back to the orphanage to get revenge on Mother Superior. However, Sister Mary points out that the orphanage is closed and Mother Superior suffered a stroke and now lives alone. So we'd have to find her, but I'm pretty sure that's not going to be a problem. No, we're going to find her in very shortly. They quickly shoot to shots of Mother Superior. She's in a wheelchair and... Her faces are scarred and messed up. Yeah, what the fuck kind of stroke does that to a person? Why is her face just like she's been in a fire or something? Like, exactly. Did she have a stroke and fall on a hot stove? Because otherwise, (laughs) there's no way that this could happen. Yeah, she's the Phantom of the Opera here. I don't get it. Like, her whole face is mangled. You know what kind of stroke probably does the damage we're talking about? The kind that you use to replace an original actress who doesn't want to appear in your shitty sequel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, good for you. I didn't notice that it was a different actress. I mean, maybe that was Yeah, okay, different actress, okay. Sure enough, after quickly murdering a Salvation Army Santa Claus and putting on his suit, Ricky's able to track her down right away by using the absolute height of 1980s technology, a phone book. (laughs) Yeah, that's how he found her. He called her and she answered the phone and that confirmed to him that she was there. So he heads over to that address dressed in a Santa Claus outfit and somehow miraculously finding an axe. Yeah, before you know it, Ricky's in the house uh, spewing off terrible lines and giving us a homeless man's version of The Shining as he smashes through the door with that axe you mentioned and says, oh boy, I love a chase. That's not exactly here's Johnny, but I guess they can't all be winners, you know? Yeah, this is pretty lame. She locks the door and then he's through it in one or two swings of that axe. And it is not shining as quality performance. You are right. There is no way that this actor lives up. No, not even a little bit. Uh, he catches Mother Superior at the top of the stairs and is about to axe her, but she dives out of her wheelchair, tumbling down to the floor below. Luckily, uh, her extra wheelchair is down there, and she manages to roll into the kitchen, grab a knife, and now she's going on the offensive. He's starting to come off better as the Psycho Santa than he did in any of the other scenes in the movie. Like, this is the only moment where you're kind of like, oh, yeah, this guy who can't act actually seems like a psychopath. And that works for me as he's chasing her with the axe. The fact that she falls down the stairs and has another wheelchair available is laughable, I think, in many ways. But then she heads to the kitchen and grabs a knife. And now we have our standoff. Yeah, they end up facing off and shouting at each other, him blaming her for her problems, her saying he's naughty like his brother and needs to be punished. And Ricky seems to get the last word, raising the axe above his head and saying, Naughty this! What does that even mean? I don't understand what it means. I'm hoping before the cutaway that we get our final ending to what should have been the end to these movies, right? Mother Superior was the evil that led to these two (laughs) humans being the way that they are. We know how she treated them as they were like orphans in her orphanage and... 
I'm not upset if this happens, but they leave us sitting here, right? They leave us not knowing what happens. No, we don't see what happens. But from there, we cut to the cops busting in, but the house is eerily quiet. And when they make their way into the dining room, they find Mother Superior sitting calmly, or so it would appear. But when Sister Mary puts her hand on her shoulder, Mother Superior's head falls off. Damn! I, I celebrated a little bit here, to be honest. I mean... I'm not happy that anyone's murdered, but if anyone deserved it, it was this woman who caused these uh, two to be murderers. Fair enough. Uh, right then, Ricky jumps out from somewhere, yells boo for some reason, and immediately gets shot like 17 times by the police. Yeah, who? why the fuck did he yell boo? I don't know. This part blew me away. He had what he wanted. He killed Mother Superior, and all of a sudden, he jumps out with an axe and yells boo like he's Casper the fucking ghost. <laughs> It does not work out well for him. Like I said, he gets shot a bunch of times. He stumbles backwards, falls through some glass doors, and seems to be dead. But a scream from Sister Mary causes him to open his eyes and smile. And the movie ends with a knife-wielding hand slashing towards the camera. And then, freeze frame! (laughs) Which, like, did he ever use a knife at any point in this movie? No. It makes no sense. I Total know. disconnect. I, I, yeah, it's not there. But is he supposed to use I, a knife? And it was interesting because I, I thought it was a quasi-free frame. I was interested to see whether you would call this a freeze frame because we were kind of into the credits already. But. Funnily enough, I had the same thought. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, like, I It does. It's a hand and it freezes, but it's unrelated. It's not like he's freezing in the moment, which does affect my rating. And we'll talk about that Ooh, in just a second. So you're not getting a full plus one right now. I here. don't want to spoil okay, it. Okay, okay, okay. But no, I'm not doing it. Yeah, I all right. Fuck that. No, fuck not, that. It's all not right. fair. It doesn't work. Right. So yeah, and then we're in the credits. And like even these credits, the credits of the first one, a traditional Christmas song sung by a choir of children, mm-hmm. strangely haunting in light of the effects before. Yeah, great. These credits, eh. Yeah. Eh. The first movie was so good. It this really is, was. This is one of those scenarios where you set expectations so high and then you show all the cool things from the first one and then produce a bunch of poo to follow and it just doesn't <laughs> happen. Oh, man. They set it up. like Again, I said this when we watched the first one and I stand by it now. Just a tremendous way to set up a sequel. Oh, the yes. The brother being yeah. there, the pan up. He says naughty. We're out. You know the sequel is coming. But then they get the sequel and they just fumble it. This is the second time I've watched it. I saw it another time and I came in partway through and I literally thought I was watching the first one. Yeah, I was like, Silent Night, Deadly Night. This is amazing. I love this movie. And they're like, no. This is the second one. This is the second one. And I was like, what are you talking about? And then it started transitioning into those scenes that were Ricky instead of Billy. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, so I think this seems as good a time as any to transition into our ratings for this because we're already kind of talking about how we felt about it. We do it on a scale of 1 to 10. We do it twice. 1 to 10 for how bad it is. 1 to 10 for how enjoyable it is. And the goal is to find movies that are a 10 out of 10 on both scales. Like the original Silent Night, Deadly Night. And we give those the score of... Crit 20. 20. I mean, it's in play for me. This movie is 10 out of 10 bad. But the reasons I give for why it's so bad are the same reasons why it's not really in play for Crit 20. Because, again, this is like half a movie. We're getting mostly recycled footage... 40 minutes of new footage, maybe 45 if I'm being generous. But that new footage, Ricky is a terrible fucking actor. He's just awful. And not like there were good actors in the first one, but he's exceptionally bad. The next time you watch this, watch Ricky's eyebrows. He uses those (laughs) things so much when he talks. It's like the director kept telling him, let's do another take and I won't tell you again. More eyebrows. (laughs) Like, I, it's just 10 out of 10 bad. It's it's atrocious movie. 10 out of 10 bad. What do you say? (laughs) 
<laughs> I love that you brought up the eyebrows. Um, I love that you also gave them credit for like directing and doing multiple cuts of scenes because there's no way that Ricky had more than one take at anything here. This is more than just a fumble. This is a straight fumble return for a touchdown. This oh, is, no. This is six points going the other direction. This is 100% a 10 bad. If we could go higher than 10 bad, this would be there. by Oh, my. Okay. Yeah, by a hot mile because the 40 minutes of replaying scenes from the first one and then all of the ways to try to connect it were just incredibly poorly <laughs> done. It's technically in play for both of us. Right. But is it going to happen with the enjoyable or no? Uh, fuck no. <laughs> the first one got a 10 out of 10 enjoyable from me, and I cringe through most of this. I like that they replayed some of the great scenes from the first one in that like that is the most enjoyable part of this entire movie. Now, I will say a couple of the scenes where Ricky goes off later in the last half an hour of the film are entertaining. Definitely. Even though the effects are pretty poor, I like the scene where he takes out Chip. There is one other kill that he takes down. I think the running over the guy is also pretty hilarious. That's very funny. Yeah. Right? And you don't hate on that. Garbage so, day is hilarious. Garbage day too. I, I had some burst out laughs. So yep. that did happen to me because it was so bad. Right? I had some burst out laughing. So where do we land though? My enjoyability was a six. Oh, wow. Okay. My expectations were so high based on the first one that this didn't come anywhere near it. There were a couple funny, well-done periods, but the acting and execution of this were just so poor in comparison to the first one that I couldn't give it any higher. Okay, we're a little bit apart here because I actually have it as an eight for enjoyable. Wow. I mean, the thing is, when he's walking around laughing, killing people in his fucking sweater, like garbage day, that sequence is tremendous. Like I said, 11 out of 10 for that sequence. <laughs> you could believe that actor is a psychopath. That is the only yeah. possible role that that guy can play and feel okay. Yeah, he's terrible. He's a terrible actor, like you mentioned. But because of that, I was laughing at many things as well, like you were. The old footage is great because the first movie is great. So watching that again, it is a nice kind of reminder. I enjoyed some of the parts of that. I wish there had been more original footage. Although when I think about Ricky's acting, I'm not sure I actually feel that way. Yeah, I think you don't. So we've rated this thing. This has been a bit of a unique episode because of the amount of beer we've drank. I was going to say, you've been fucking shit-faced for this whole episode. I've been struggling to make it through here. Yeah. When you crush a six of winter beers, it does catch up to you for sure. Yeah. Um, but I've been happy to plow through and enjoy some of this uh, Whitewater Brewing Company's 12-pack of mystery Christmas beers. I enjoyed our draft earlier. How did it turn out for you? It turned out fucking great for me. Can I just say, first of all, you know what? Whitewater, God love you. You're one of my favorite breweries, like I said earlier. A couple beers I was not sure about ended up great. A couple beers I was excited for were as good as I imagined. And most importantly, I ditched that chocolate mint beer, sent it over to you, or what, in my opinion, having now finished it, is the best beer in the whole 12-pack, the Malakiliki Maka Pineapple and Whatever Berry Sour. That was outstanding. So was the White Chocolate Stout. For me, draft worked out great. What do you think? So I think my draft went really, really well. I feel like my first two picks were excellent, and... You kept taking stuff off the board that I was not interested in. Oh, it worked out well. You then. took like a smoked spruce. You didn't a want smoked spruce. spruce. I didn't want that. That I was really good. I didn't want the white stout. Oh, right? loved it. That was and brilliant. that one disappeared off the board for me. So I was really happy with the way the draft went. Um, I really enjoyed the cranberry candy cane beer, although the 
The, the mint. Mint takes over. You got to change that mint. No. And so that's a little bit strong. I really like the scotch beer that I had. It was way less alcoholic feeling and way smoother. The figgy pudding surprised me. I liked it. I am questionable on raisins in general. And figs are kind of like giant raisins. Um, but I enjoyed the figgy pudding beer. I did not enjoy the chocolate mint beer. There, the All 12 of these were not winners. But it's hard. They can't all be winners. I'm so sad, though, because I traded that for you for your favorite. I, I could have had that other one. and I uh, dodged a huge bullet there. I saw it. I got excited. Then I thought to myself, what about the other mint beer I had from them? And it's exactly what, based on what you described, exactly what I thought it was going to be. So I'm so glad I got it from underneath that rock. Man, what a kind human I am. Because well, otherwise, otherwise if it didn't, then it just seems like a sad move for me. It's a hell of a Christmas gift. Yeah. Me. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, you provided all these beers. So thank you That's to you. Um, uh, best beer that. in the box. Go. I really enjoyed the Scotchy Scotch. Um, I do like the last one I've had as well. Mimosa Sour. Yeah, Mimosa Sour is cool too. Okay, fair enough. Worst beer in the box, chocolate mint. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Couldn't even drink it at all. Barley wine, the worst one for me. Yeah, not not a fan. No. It's just too strong. Uh, it tastes kind of like root beer. Yeah. And I just don't like root beer. Like if I was the kind of person who enjoyed root beer flavored so things, I think I would like this. That. But for me, I'm like, so it's not the I right should have drank that and you should have the mint chocolate one. <sighs> I mean, I would have... I would have been the same boat as you. I mean, if I had it's another nine percenter, I would have been like not podcasting anymore. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I would have been on your floor right now. Yeah, one. I would have been on the floor. Yeah. You sure. know what though? Overall, uh, really enjoyed the experience. Whitewater Brewing Company. I ordered the twelve beers of Christmas last year. I will order the twelve beers of Christmas next year. It's a fun thing. Cracking open that box, waiting to see what's inside. So thank you, Whitewater Brewing Co. Really appreciate it. If you have not checked out Whitewater Brewing Co. and you live in Ontario or can get the beers to you. Try some of their stuff. They have so much good stuff, guys. It's one of my favorite craft breweries in Ontario. Uh, any final thoughts, Noel? I'm wondering what we're going to do next year for our Christmas because I don't think there's a Silent Night, Deadly Night. Oh, there definitely three. is. But I think we're done with this. I think we don't. I don't, Ooh, I don't think there we, is a third. Okay. I don't think we need to go I don't, further down. I don't the think we should watch it. Now. I think this one shut it down for me. Either way, let's talk about. Forget next year. Let's talk about next week. Next week is our last episode of this first half of the season. It's also our fiftieth episode, and so we have decided to go big with a huge movie from the nineteen eighties. Maybe even a bit of a controversial choice here because I'm not sure how bad this actually is. For our 50th episode and final episode before midseason break, we are watching Top Gun, Cruz, Kilmer, <laughs> Anthony Edwards. Yeah, I was going to say, why are you not putting Anthony Edwards up there with the others? Because Young you know, Meg Ryan. I'm not sure that this is a good choice for us, but I'm excited to watch it next week and see it. I have fairly fond memories. I remember there being some hilarious and fucked up scenes in this movie. There's a volleyball, volleyball scene, scene. Yeah, <laughs> which volleyball I think stands yeah. out to everyone's moments. I think the McGillis and Cruz relationship's fucked as far I as know. I remember, and that should be interesting too. But uh, all right, I'm excited to watch that again and drink a beer related. Yeah, see, I am not a fan of that movie. I've never been a fan of that movie. I think it's one of the most overrated movies ever. But hey, listen, you know what? I haven't seen it in a long time. I'm willing to be proven wrong. So please join us next week for Top Gun. In the meantime, if you have not already, please follow us on social media, Twitter, and Instagram at the BMB Podcast. Yeah, if you want to send any suggestions to us, feel free to slide into the DMs of our social media or send us an email at the BMB Podcast at gmail.com. Absolutely. Like, share, subscribe, tell a friend. We'd love to hear from you. Join us next week for our 50th episode, Top Gun. Until then, I'm Cooper. And I'm Nolan. And we'll see you next time on Bad Movies and Beer. Keep it Billy, not Ricky. Oh, I like that. Yeah. You know what? The nightmare is about to begin. 
again. <laughs>